Let us begin our Thanksgiving sermon with prayer. We pray, Lord, that you bless the words of today's sermon, that we may see and trust that you provide for our daily bread according to what you know we need and is best for our physical and eternal welfare. Guard us against all greed and anxiety for our physical needs, that we may confidently rely on you for all our blessings. Amen. Our text for our sermon is a portion of our second lesson. That's Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I'm not saying this because I lack anything. In fact, I've learned to be content in any circumstances in which I find myself. I know what it is to live in humble circumstances, and I know what it is to have more than enough. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation while being full or hungry, while having plenty or not enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome, and in fact, ultimately, at his own expense, he will appear before Nero and Christianity will be considered a legal religion. A handful of years later, he'll appear again and he'll be put to death and Christianity will be considered an outlawed religion. But for now, he's under house arrest at his own expense. In all those churches that he started, there was one, the congregation Philippi. This is Lydia. This is the jailer who the Apostle Paul had converted after, he had, after him and Silas had spent the night in jail. They sent him a gift to help endure the financial expenses. And the Apostle Paul begins his letter to the Philippians right away saying, I'm so thankful for you. And, and he says, I'm thankful for the gift. But ever the Apostle, he feels like he needs to instruct them. Basically saying, the good news of salvation does not need our monetary offerings. That's a privilege from God. And so he, while he's writing to them, says, thank you so much for supporting the ministry I provide Yet let me instruct you just for a second in pure thankfulness. There's no ounce of ingratitude. He says, I'm not speaking in accordance with need because I myself have learned to be content in whatever state I am in. And I sit back and I scratch my head because, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he was in Philippi, he, cure, he, he exercises the demon out of that girl and they get arrested and they get beat and they get thrown in jail. And all along the lines, all the Apostle Paul had to say was in Latin, Kiwis Romana Sum. I am a Roman citizen. He didn't have to be beat. He didn't have to be thrown in jail. I'm a Roman citizen gave him the right to a fair trial. Why would he allow himself to be beat? Because he wanted to, the chance to go to prison and do evangelism with those inmates. The Lord blessed that and even gave him the jailer himself. Paul was content in any and every situation. And, and I have to admit to you, the song that my sinful nature sings is, I ain't ever satisfied. How can we be content in any situation? That is our sermon theme today. What is the secret in being content in any and every situation? You see, we have a problem. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans in his letter, and in chapter 7, he talked about God's grace, and so should we sin? Is the law bad? And he says, certainly not. He says, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know. And he doesn't pick the sin, what it's like to have another God. He doesn't pick commit adultery. He doesn't pick commit murder. He picks the sin, what it is to covet. 
You see, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, for example, tells us if we're angry at our brother, we're committing murder in our heart. But we know when we're grabbing a knife or something and going after somebody, we know we're doing wrong. But coveting, that's the one that we usually can get away with. It starts in our heart and it usually stays in our heart. Oh, there are ways I can covet my neighbor's property and find out maybe he hasn't paid his land taxes and through a series of legal loopholes, I can pay for those and eventually swindle his property from underneath him and it's perfectly legal. But that law, that's right there in the heart and it often tends to stay there. Now maybe you're thinking, well, I don't covet my neighbor's property. Besides, they got all those hound dogs that keep me up all night and they don't paint their house or their fence. There's other ways that we can quickly fall from coveting into that sin. That's called keeping up with the Joneses. The Joneses are hard to keep up with. They have the four-wheeler and then suddenly we think we got to have the same or a better four-wheeler. They get the nicer car and suddenly we think we got to have the nicer car. That's one of the ways that we covet. And really what happens behind all that if we follow it through is we recognize someone has it better than me. And you know, it often happens somebody has the same job for a different company that we have and we find out they get better benefits or they're paid a couple bucks more an hour than we are and and we could be perfectly satisfied with our job until we find that out. Someone else has it better than me. And then we start thinking it could be better. I really think that's the hard thing when, when we have physical illnesses and terminal diseases like cancer is we know it could be better. We usually don't think it could also be worse, do we? In fact, we often scream out for equality. And what equality often is, is if my neighbor has it better than me and I can't have it as good as them, then they shouldn't have it better than me. And we will gladly use the government or whatever we can to take away from them so that we're equal. Equality really is taking a blessing God has given to somebody else away from them. Now, equality can mean other things as well, but it amazes me how often when I hear for people to scream equality when it comes to money and possessions or work, it's really just coveting. Now, God provides for our daily bread, and there are one of two ways in which we can mess that up too. God provides for our daily bread because he's established the natural laws, the scientific principles we call them today, that govern our universe. And the general way that God provides for us to get our daily bread is that we go to work and we earn a paycheck and then we buy our groceries and we prepare our meal or some nights we go to a nice restaurant and pamper ourselves. There are two kinds of people who can misunderstand the way this is. And the first we call them workaholics. They can forget that there's actually God behind the scenes and they can work away as if there's no God providing for them, as if God cannot provide for them in other ways. Work harder, get more. And there's another way. This is the opposite end of the spectrum. And that's the person who knows God can do miracles. The person who's entitled and they say, the Lord will provide and they don't go to work. They expect God to make it magically appear on their table. And this is what happened when the people, when Jesus fed the 5,000 men. Remember, they counted the men. They didn't count the women and children. So there's probably at least 15,000 people fed that day. And they follow him across the lake the next day and says, give me, give me, give me more food. They wanted that miracle bread. 
You go from the person who works as if there's no God, and that was mentioned in our first lesson in Deuteronomy. My work, my, the power of my hands provided for this. Ah, but God gave you the health. To the other person who says, God, you owe this to me, give it to me. I'm not willing to use my hand. And, and they miss that God uses those natural principles, but God also knows our daily needs and provides for us. So we can sin with overworking as if there's no God, and we can sin with underworking as if God doesn't work through natural means that he's created, as if he should just miraculously make things appear on our table. But that's not what the Apostle Paul's sin is at all. He's content. And how can we have that contentment? What's the secret to being content in every situation? Well, he says in verse 12, I know both how to be humbled and I know how to be in abundance. In every kind of condition and in all situations, I've learned the secret both to be satisfied and to be hungry, both to be in abundance and to be in need. Before I reveal the secret, let's talk about what kind of secret it is not. Before Christ took on human flesh, after Alexander the Great had come along and, and taken the Greek philosophers and Greek reasoning, Western logic with him, and had conquered the Middle East, Eastern mysticism and Greek philosophy, Western logic collided. And they came up with a religion known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was very engulfing. It taught the basic idea that all of creation is like an onion. And the outermost level is where you want to be. And that's where the true God and the great God is like. But in the very center, that's here. That's the carnal. That's the fleshy. So this kind of we still, the, the idea then is, is that the body's bad and you've got to do the right things. Again, it's work righteousness. But in order to know those right things, you had to know the secret. You had to be part of a secret society. You had to know the right people, the right handshake, to get that knowledge. That's not the kind of secret that the Apostle Paul is talking about at all. In fact, that Eastern mysticism combined with Western philosophy shows itself in a different way today, and it's very cultic. It's come through the New Age. You may have heard of it, you may not. It's called the Law of Attraction. The logic behind it which science can prove is this. If you have a negative attitude about everything, you can eventually self-sabotage yourself. If I'm constantly negative towards people and being pouty, I don't have any friends, guess what? I'm going to start chasing all my friends away. If I start screaming that I'm poor, I don't have any money, eventually I'm going to start losing my job because none of my coworkers want to be around me. That's self-sabotage. But they take that and they flip it like a two-sided coin. And there's some logic to that. If I'm a very positive, upbeat person, then people want to be my friend. If I'm positive about my job, then people want to work with me. But they come up with this idea that if I have the right secret set of rules, then I can attract money and wealth and the ideal mate and everything else to myself. And it actually is a combination of what the Hindus call the Brahman and the Atman, or the Buddhists call, or the, the Confucianists call the, the yin and the yang. And there's these laws of attraction. And, and if you haven't heard of this, type it up on the internet when you go home today. You'll find self-help CDs that you can buy. You'll find subliminal messages and hypnosis. But this is not the idea of changing to positive thinking so you're not self-sabotaging. This is the idea that there's a good in you that if you tap into, you can start attracting like a magnet things in the world. It's not a secret like that at all. But you know the greatest way the world tends to think of this like a secret? 
I became aware of when I was a teenager. My first job working at a fast food restaurant on school nights. On the weeknights, they would put me on a closing shift and I'd often get home at one o'clock at night. And needing to calm my brain down, I'd turn on the television and I became aware of what we now call the infomercial. There would always be somebody, are you poor and broke? You send your money into Tommy Wu and Tommy Wu, Tommy Wu will tell you how I get rich and you'll get rich. Do you know how those people got rich? It wasn't through properties. It was through swindling people who were wanting to get rich. Their secret was no secret at all. They were shysters. This is not a secret that the Apostle Paul is talking about, like you got to know the secret handshake or the right people. It's a secret because it's abnormal to this world. It's a secret that is blatantly found in scriptures and it's there. But if you don't have faith, you're going to miss it, even though it's the big elephant in the room. So let's get to the secret. That's verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, allow me, you've often heard me say from this pulpit, we've got to pay attention to the Greek prepositions. And the Greek preposition used here is, is not at all through. It's that one only within the boundaries of. So let me uh, give you my rough translation here. I have the power to do all things only within the boundaries of the one. That's Christ who empowers me. That's the secret. I can't earn my salvation. Christ did that. You can't, you can't remove your sins, nor can I remove your sins. Christ did that. And now you and I have the power to tell somebody their sins are forgiven and the blood of Christ comes on them. Christ does it. So what does that mean to being content in all things and everything? It means that if Christ, which he did, lived for you and died for you. He has purchased and won you. You are his little lamb. So we got to view things differently. Let me use a teenager analogy again. When I was younger and before I, I had my driver's license, my dad wanted me to get on the road knowing how to drive already and just so he just focus on the laws. So he used to take me out to the two tracks outside of Rollins, Wyoming, out in the desert there. And I noticed when I first started learning how to drive, you, know, you got to work the clutch, the gas, you got to shift gears and everything. But then you're trying to keep that vehicle on the road. You're trying to center it. And, and, you, and, and I naturally wanted to look right off the front end of that vehicle. But then there were so many other things to pay attention to. It was really bad. But I learned finally how to look in the distance and kind of use my peripheral vision. And, and then suddenly, once I got the hang of it, I got it became natural and easy to keep that vehicle centered. Well, this is how Christians live our lives. We look to the distance, to Christ on the cross, Christ off the cross, and all at the same time, that eternal inheritance that he has won for us. With our eyes focused on that, it changes everything. Because suddenly, whether I got a lot of money or I don't have any at all, I can recognize God is using this for my good. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to this purpose. Let me apply this for you. When I was a teenager, in my very late teens, after graduating from high school, I went to college for electrical engineering. And I had the aptitude. I certainly could do the math and the sciences. But the Lord sent a health issue on me. And I darn near flunked out of college. So I laid off for a couple of years. I was supposed to repair electronics and that job just fell apart. And I ended up working at Wyoming State Penitentiary. After several years of working there, I went back to college. And even though I had the aptitude and I was passing my classes, it just was a rough go studying electrical engineering.
And then finally, God put it in my heart. And I went to our pre-seminary. And even though I was much older than the rest of my class, suddenly the road wasn't so rough. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I endured health issues, some bad jobs that went wrong, and, and, and everything else, so that I could be here tonight preaching to you. I couldn't, I didn't know it then. And it's the same in your life. Oftentimes when there's hardships in your life, it's not even that God is using it for your good, which He's very much doing. He may be even more so doing it for your neighbor's good. People get terminal diseases, and when they're Christians, the neighbor sees how they cling to Christ and how their face shines through. That changes everything. Apostle Paul again in verse 11 says, I myself learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. And that really is what changes everything. When we recognize Christ, we can say, whether we're poor or rich, this is a gift from God and he's using it for me. I can say the same thing while staying to be a student. There were times that things were pretty tight. And I can say that also being a pastor. Lord, the cars keep breaking down. The kids keep getting sick. How am I going to do this? And the Lord says, Fred, you fool. You've given your life to proclaim my word and I will see to it. I'm not promising you prosperity. I will see to it that your family is provided for. And he's proven that to me time and time again. So why does my sinful nature always scream out? Somebody has it better than me. And, you know, lots of times I've learned, you watch some of those charlatans, they, they will take advantage of people. They will try to get rich by supposedly proclaiming the word of God. Send in all your money to my ministry and Jesus is going to get you out of debt. And it becomes very clear what they're more concerned with is separating you from the contents of your wallet. But, but there are people that sometimes God lets them take advantage of them to learn. God is, God's going to take, take care of them. And if they're willing to be shystered like that, they just may be letting money be their God in place of Jesus Christ, their Savior, who's redeemed them for all eternity. And I have to say, God blesses some people who are Christians and are good stewards with wealth. And others, no matter what they do, it seems to fall apart. And it may just very well be because God knows for that person that that mammon will become their God. And so the Apostle Paul tells us the secret. And it's that simple, just like driving down the road. We keep our eyes focused on Christ's life, leading to the cross, Him on the cross, Him off the cross. And that inheritance that's yours and we recognize then. God's using this for my good and the good of my neighbor. And I may not see all the amount of good and now. I may see it later and I might not understand it till I get to heaven. And it may be when I get to heaven, things are so good, I don't care to know the reason. What is the secret to being contented in any and every situation? It's knowing your Savior, knowing you have eternal life. It's knowing, therefore, that he will provide for your needs as is best for you, and he will use you as is best for your neighbor as well, all the while taking care of you. Amen. Now God will fully supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.